you got your scriptures, go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 18. Uh, Acts chapter 18. And I love Luke uh, 10.27. It's a reminder for all of us. Very simple, but yet very profound. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And here's the key, love your what? Neighbor as yourself. This is the last message this summer on the loving thy neighbor. And again, this is not a suggestion. It's a commandment that we love our neighbors. And our neighbors aren't just the folks that live right next to us. Uh, Our neighbors are the folks that work side by side with us. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit about why that is so important. And our primary characters today are Aquila and Priscilla. Remember those names because they truly are heroes. And what I love about their spirit, you're going to find out, is they were, they were willing to do whatever it takes to reach people wherever they were, that they were always spiritually curious and reaching out to others that were spiritually curious. Now, when I think of curiosity, I don't know that there's anyone more curious than kids. And if you're around kids, and those of you that have grandkids, you know, uh, they're always asking the most bizarre questions because they're just always striving. So over the years, these are a few comments that I've heard Matter of fact, there was a famous show years ago that framed this really well, and you have to be pretty old to even know who this dude is, Art Linkletter. Does that name even ring a bell? And he said, kids say the what? Darndest thing. So here's a few uh, things that I've heard kids over the years. My oldest daughter, Rachel, who's now 28, when she was about three, uh, I'm usually in a good mood in the morning, which uh, the rest of my family hates me for that. So anyway, I was sitting at the breakfast table, and Rachel was just in a really bad mood. And I said, Rachel, looks like you've woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And she took me by the hand, walked me to her little bed, and said, what side is the wrong side? And I'm like, the side you got up on. I mean, deal with it, you know. <laughs> Years ago when Toy Story came out, it was a hit. Uh, we were talking about, somehow we were talking about funny things that kids say. And uh, this mom came up and she was laughing. Had a little guy named Eric. Eric was about seven or eight. She goes, he is obsessed with Toy Story. She goes, I caught him the other day, and he had a cape on, standing at the top bunk, getting ready to jump. I mean, he was buzz, you know? And, he's, and he had his fist up in the air, and he screamed, to insanity and beyond, you know? <laughs> he's not the sharpest kid, but he's funny. Okay. And then this is my favorite one from a kid giving advice. It's a big sister giving advice to the little sister. And here's the advice. <laughs> Never let mom... Comb the knots out of your hair if she's mad at dad. Now that, that I mean, can't you picture that? You know, I'm going to get these knots out. You know, I mean, let's love it. It's just good stuff. Kids, kids have this, this, this hunger and this curiosity, this spiritual curiosity. And that's what I love about Priscilla and Aquila. Listen to what another Priscilla said. It's Priscilla Shire. She said this, God is the God of right now. He doesn't want you sitting around regretting yesterday, nor does he want you wringing your hands, worrying about the future. He wants you focusing on what he is saying to you right now. So in the next few minutes, maybe what God is whispering in your ear right now is the neighbor that you need to be reaching out to. And it may literally be the neighbor that you live by, or again, it may be the coworker that you work side by side. It may be the boss that, honestly, you don't even like. But God may be whispering in your ear right now, who's your neighbor? 
This morning, one of the things that I try to do is I try to imagine as I read scripture sometime, if that individual were here talking to me, what would they share? And this morning, I want to ask ourselves three questions that I believe Aquila and Priscilla would ask us today on our faith journey. I truly believe the first question is, are you available? So if you're taking notes, there's a little blank there. Is, are you available? Look at Acts chapter 18, and let's start with verses 1 and 2. After this, Paul left Athens, and he went, uh, it's Athens, he went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and he recently had come from Italy. His wife Priscilla, because of Claudius, had offered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. Now, who is this, Aquila and Priscilla? Well, we know that they started out in Rome, and most scholars believe that they started with a Jewish background, and they converted to Christianity. They were on fire for Christ. But one of the ways in the first century that the church exploded is through persecution. So when persecution uh, set fire, it spread all of these Christians all over. Well, it took them from Rome to the area of Corinth. And there, as tent makers, that's their job, uh, they used their job to help others find Jesus Christ. Well, they came in contact with who? Paul. And they realized, this guy, God has a mission for Paul. And so we want him, first of all, in our home. We want to work side by side with him. But we want to do everything we can to pave the way so that Paul can go wherever God is leading him. And so they became, seriously, unsung heroes. They were co-workers. I love that. They were co-workers with Paul. And in Corinth, if you notice how they began a new church, it's a pattern throughout the entire New Testament. They did it in their home. I love the way that they used their home. They were available. And it says they were tent makers. In other words, that was their occupation. And because that's where they worked, that was their ministry field. Folks, that's where the ministry is. As much as we may not like it, work truly matters. Let me give an example of that. I did a little uh, research uh, statistically, and this is how conservative this is. Uh, if you work between the ages of 20 and 65, so first of all, how many of you started working before the age of 20? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, a few of you. So you know this is conservative, okay? And if you were to work 40 hours a week, how many of you only work 40 hours a week? Don't raise your hand. We don't know who the slackers are. But look, trust me, <laughs> you're all working over 40 hours. We know that, okay? But if you work between the ages of 20 and 65, 40 hours a week, and you'd get two full weeks of vacation, you would have worked 90,360 hours. 90,000 plus hours. Your work matters. More than just bringing home a check and paying the bills, that is your mission field. And it's sad because there are so many people, they'll say, oh, I wish I was in your line of work. Because you get to minister to people all day long. And I'm like, no, no, no. You minister to people all day long. I mean, I have a, the privilege to share with others Jesus Christ. But I'm not in an environment like you guys. You matter more than you realize. Everything you do matters. Your neighbors are the folks that are working side by side. And some of you right now, I guarantee, your battle is you don't see purpose in your work. You don't like where you work. You don't like your boss. You may not like some of the coworkers, and maybe God is whispering in your ear, this is where the ministry begins. It's in the workplace. 
And I know at times it is so hard. Uh, when I was preparing for Bible college, uh, my senior year, the spring into the summer leading up to that, uh, I couldn't land a good job, and my buddy got me a job. <clears throat> Are you ready for this? Everybody needs the worst job of your life experience. How many can right now name the worst job you've ever had? Raise your hand. Good. Glad we all have that in common. Okay. It was at a horseradish farm. Now, picture that, a horseradish farm. Okay. Good times. And, I, and I'm not saying anything negative about the guys that I worked with. Let's just say they were not the valedictorians. You know what I'm saying? A couple of them had teeth. That was a good thing. You know, I mean, it was, they were rough, okay? And so here I show up, the initiation. You probably don't know what a horseradish set is. Trust me, you don't want to eat one of those. That was the initiation. They'd hand me on the ground, throw a set in your mouth, and good times. So anyway, um, <laughs> I remember going in there, and as soon as they started asking me questions, I knew I was in trouble. So what is it you're going to college for? Um, Bible college. A what? Say it louder, Robertson. It's a Bible college. You're going to be a preacher. I didn't say that. No, that's what you just, oh, good. Every day. And a few weeks went by, and I came home bawling to my mom. My mom is just so, she has such a gentle spirit. She goes, you got another job to go to? I said, no. She goes, go to the horseradish farm. You're going tomorrow. I'm like, I don't like you either. You know, so anyway, <laughs> continued going, working, working. And I, I'm not saying I, did, I didn't like the job. I hated that job. And then in the summer, it got better. 6 a.m., you're 18 years old. Okay, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And I loved it even more, you know, digging out the weeds, just good, good. And we had a boss. Some of you have bosses like this. I couldn't understand the guy. Huge cigar in one side of his mouth and a toothpick in the other. It's like, he'd bark at me. And I could pick out the, the cuss words. That was it. I never... I never knew, do you like me? Do you want to kill me and bear me under the horse? Ra- I mean, I, don't, I can't read Harley, you know. But right as the summer was beginning, a couple of guys were getting ready to quit, and he takes a cigar out so I can understand him, and he goes, Robertson, you got a couple of guys that uh, might want to work for me? And I'm like, uh, well, yes, Harley, it's a wonderful opportunity. You know, so anyway, I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, yes, I do. That was a lie. I did not have... But I knew as soon as I got home, I started working the lines. A couple of guys in my youth group, I called them. I said, I have a wonderful opportunity for, you know. <laughs> and so they started, these, these Christian brothers, they started working with me. And we're out, and it's July, and sun's beating down, and we got the hose, and we're out there doing the weeds. And I'm just thinking, does it get any worse than this? And one of my buddies started talking about youth group. And I started talking about youth group, too. I said, yeah. I, so one thing I look forward to during the week is youth group. There's a guy way in the back, his name's Jim Peters. He goes, what's youth group? I said, oh, it's a, it's a Bible study. I go, go ahead. I haven't heard it all. He goes, no, 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 I've got questions. And I said, like what? He started asking questions. And we, we had, plenty, I had nothing but time, you know, so he's talking to him. And he said, I think I'd like to go with you to youth group. I said, that'd be awesome, Jim. I don't have a car. Pick me up. You know, so he picks me up. <laughs> we go to youth group. He can't, he st- he can't stop asking questions. On the way home, I could tell this guy was so curious about everything. He said, I think I want what you've got. And I said, well, what is that? He said, Jesus. And a week later, I baptized Jim Peters. And I knew why I was at a horseradish farm. And nothing to do with me. God could care less whether I liked the horseradish farm. But he loved Jim Peters. 
God has you there for a reason. And some of you may have come in here today, and that's what you're battling. I don't like my job. And I'm not making light of that. I know it's hard. But remember, that's your neighbor. God may be using you because you may be the only Jesus that some people see. Proverbs 69 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. The second question is huge. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Now, again, let's go to chapter 18, verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and then he left the brothers and the sisters, and he sailed to Syria. Don't, I just love Paul's spirit. Accompanied by who? Priscilla and Aquila. Now, I want to drop down to verse 24. I want you to pick up their spirit. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was a learned man. And through knowledge of scriptures, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately. And though he knew about the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And Priscilla and Aquila, I love this, heard him, and they invited him where? To their home. And explained to him the way of God more adequately. Don't you love that spirit? What'd they do? Again, they're working. They hear him, and they think, this Apollos, he reminds us of Paul. There's just a few adjustments, but we want to do everything that we can to encourage him. Do they criticize him? No. What'd they do? We'd love to have you come to our home, and let's have a meal. We've talked about the importance of life groups, and the things that I love most about a life group is it's not in a church. It's in a living room. It's on somebody's back deck. That's where you talk about life. And I love the fact that they use their home as a classroom. All of us need to have the spirit that says, I want to learn. I love in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, you read further about them. Paul is talking about their spirit. He said, in Asia, Aquila and Priscilla will greet you. That tells you how they minister. The power of education and learning. We should always be striving to learn. Now, um, years ago, uh, I remember sitting in education classes, and they had what they call the pyramid of learning. And the pyramid of learning was basically, as a communicator, as a teacher, what are the most effective ways to teach that students will retain what they've been taught? Does that make sense? Do you want to guess at the bottom of the scale what was the least effective way to communicate that you would retain it over the long haul? Anybody want to guess? Lecture which is why preachers are so popular. So if you're lectured at for a long period of time, they're saying, that's great, and they'll study. We used to call it study and flush. I'll learn exactly what you tell me I have to learn. But as far as retaining it for the long haul, no. Now, as you go up the scale, number two is, you ready for this one? It's experiential learning. In other words, if you can hear information, but you can put that information in motion, then it retains, it sticks to you. But do you want to know what the number one way for you to learn something and retain it? Anybody want to guess? You teach it. You teach it. In other words, you learn it, and then you give it to someone else. Let me tell you, whether you're leading a life group, you're teaching a Bible study, or whether you've got that individual at work that has all these spiritual questions, and you're doing the digging, let me tell you something, that's what you retain. You remember that. Because now you're taking it in, and then you're giving it back out. Let me, let me just share a pet peeve. 
I'll just get it off my chest, is individuals who've been in the Word of God their entire life, and they never, they never share that with anybody else. They just take, 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 take. There comes a point, man, you gotta, you got to allow God's Word to come through you. And let me tell you, that is the most powerful thing you can do. The greatest teachers you'll ever have, greatest teachers I've ever studied under, they never stop learning. Have you ever noticed that? They're always jotting something down. They're always asking, hey, what did you say about that? Hey, can I have that article? Hey, that book you recommended, okay? Never stop learning. Uh, What I love the most about, my mom had a fifth grade education. I grew up in the Depression, but she was an avid reader. And I used to love to just watch my mom devour books. And uh, that was the one thing she wanted to pass on to me. And I know it bothered her because for years I didn't read anything. Folks, we need to be learners. But here's the third question, and this one's critical. Are you flammable? Are you flammable? I believe right now, Aquila and Priscilla, if they were to stand before you, they'd say, are you still on fire for Jesus Christ? Because you can have all the methods and you can have all the strategy in the world, but are you still on fire for Jesus Christ? Because that drives everything else. I love in Romans 16, verses 3 and 4, I want you to listen to Paul's words. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers, I love that, in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but for all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Now, how did they risk their lives? I thought a lot about that. Well, first of all, they were on fire for Jesus Christ, and they were on fire to help others finding their way to Christ. So this is my personal opinion, the speculation. I think somewhere along the line, Paul got in serious trouble, and I really think he was on the run, and I think he ended up at their home. And I think they said, Paul, if we die protecting you, we'll die protecting you. God has a plan for you. Now, am I right? I have no idea. But I know that's the pattern of their life. They were on fire, and they did it not being on fire by being up front. They did it on fire by doing all the things behind the scenes. That's who truly makes the difference in life. They were co-workers. Now, a person that I don't brag on near enough is the greatest co-worker I've ever known for me, and that's my wife, Marie. Um, this morning, it makes her sick because uh, we had a, a major uh, water break in our house this morning, 5 a.m., good times, and, and uh, she really wanted to share during the offering because as we honored all the educators, she said, man, I want, I want to pray over everyone. And um, I just know it hurt her not to be here. But I thought for 35 years, uh, Marie has been my coworker. Uh, it's not about man and woman. It's about a team. And she has been uh, an amazing blessing all these years working side by side with me and putting up with me. I'm serious. And I just, I can't tell you how much I love her for that. And I think of all the folks here that are co-workers, that you take that seriously and what that means, and it means a lot. Arthur Ashe said this, and I love this, start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. You start where you are, you use what you have, and you do what you can. You want to be a good neighbor? you got to start somewhere. Why not start with the folks that are around you all the time that you work with? Back in the 1700s, there was, spiritually, it was called the Great Awakening. 
and George, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this. Steve, is it Whitefield or Whitfield? So, Whit. George Whitfield uh, was a powerful communicator. And that's why they call it the Great Awakening. In uh, Britain, people were, I mean, for miles around, people would come to hear him speak because he was so passionate. And then, periodically, he'd come over to the United States because there was such a passion for people to hear him. And he sensed this, as he called it, a spiritual awakening. Now, this is how crazy it got with his popularity in the United States in those early colonial years. They estimate that 80% of the people in those colonial states heard him speak at least one time. Now, think about that. People would do whatever it took. But the most famous fan that he had, Benjamin Franklin. And they asked Benjamin Franklin, why do you go to hear George Whitfield preach so often? Why? Listen to his quote. Because before my eyes, I can watch a man burn. I love that. This guy's on fire. I may not agree with everything he says, but he passionately believes that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Do you still believe that? I mean, that's what it all comes down to. If you want to be a good husband, if you want to be a good wife, if you want to be a good person, and you want to be a good neighbor, you passionately pursue Jesus Christ. Are you still on fire for Jesus Christ? That's, that is the question. Are you still on fire? Are you the kind of person that they can see in your bones? I love it in Jeremiah. He says, if I don't talk about God, it's like a burning in my bones. Are your bones on fire for Jesus Christ? In just a moment, if you're visiting with us, we're going to break bread. We're going to take communion like we do every week. And as you approach the table, ask yourself, Lord, am I still on fire for you? Or, Lord, I need to be on fire for you. The very last time in the New Testament that you read about Priscilla and Aquila, it's 2 Timothy 4.19. And Paul, it's his last letter. He's dying and he's reaching out and he's greeting the few people who have invested. For nearly 20 years, they've invested in Paul. And that's why he writes, bring greetings to them. They were my co-workers. They've always been there. It's like, I'm on fire for Jesus and I'm going to die. I know they're going to die on fire for Jesus. I would love to have been on that list.